At the crucifixion, the Jewish council took great delight in condemning Jesus. Judas had betrayed him. He later regretted having a part in the plan, but both the Jewish council and Judas ended up in the same place, under the judgment of God. Their actions teach us important lessons about God and the hearts of sinful people. Now, Peter denied Jesus, but had a different outcome. This lesson is called, Eternal Contrasts Between Judas and Peter. As we study the gospel accounts chronologically, sandwiched in between Judas's betrayal and Peter's denial is the illegal trial of Jesus before the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Court of the nation of Israel. Now, following Peter's denial of Christ, you may remember he leaves that courtyard. He's sobbing uncontrollably. He's remorseful and repentant. But as we set sail today on our wisdom journey, we're not going to find the same response or heart condition in in the lives of other people who are going to appear in these dramatic events. Luke chapter 22 gives us the most details of this final phase of Jesus' trial before the Sanhedrin. So we're going to, to his account. Verse 63 says, Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. They also blindfolded him and kept asking him, Prophesy, who is it that struck you? A Jewish law permitted public flogging of a condemned person, but it did not permit the treatment described here, mocking, beating, certainly not not before a person had been proven guilty in a public trial. Well, evidently, this treatment went on throughout the night hours, as indicated here in verse 66, when day came, the assembly of the elders of the people gathered together, both chief priests and scribes, and they led him away to their council. In other words, the Sanhedrin is going to reconvene at daybreak. This probably allows other members to join them who were unable to get there uh, the night before. And, and since that nighttime trial had been illegal, They've got to create this facade of of legal respectability the following day. So now the Sanhedrin demands of Jesus here in verse 67, if you are the Christ, tell us. Now, even though this is still illegal to ask a man to condemn himself, Jesus is going to, to help his enemies accomplish their murderous desires. And so he he effectively lights the fuse for them. He says, if I tell you, you will not believe. But from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. What a statement. Jesus is claiming a messianic title here, the Son of Man. He's also claiming to sit on the very throne of God. The right hand of God is a reference to the place of God's authority, the right hand. It's the right hand of power. Well, let me tell you, the Sanhedrin understands exactly what Jesus is saying. And so they ask him further here in verse 70, Are you the Son of God then? And he said to them, You say, that is correctly, that I am. Then they said, 
What further testimony do we need? We have heard it ourselves from his own lips. The claim to be the Son of God to them is blasphemy, and that's worthy of death. Now, with that, we shift to another event that's taking place, and Matthew chapter 27 gives us the details here in verse 3. Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. Judas here is experiencing remorse, but in contrast to Peter, there's no repentance. In fact, this verse says that Judas changed his mind. Now, even though Judas does not believe Jesus is God's son, he's changed his mind about wanting to be a part of putting an innocent man to death. He he evidently feels regret over being complicit in the crucifixion of Jesus. Beloved, nobody's going to go to heaven because they feel badly that Jesus was crucified. You go to heaven when you realize he was crucified for you. You don't even go to heaven because you realize you've sinned. You go to heaven because you've asked him to save you. So Judas is overwhelmed by his betrayal of an innocent man, yet he refuses to acknowledge Jesus as the Son of God. Still, he he wants to get rid of this blood money in an attempt to alleviate his guilt. So he says to the chief priests and the elders here in verse 4, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. Their response is, what is that to us? See to it yourself. In other words, what do we care about the innocence of Jesus? That's your problem. Well, I have no doubt that Judas is familiar with Deuteronomy chapter 27 and verse 25 in the law of Moses. Cursed be anyone who takes a bribe to shed innocent blood. Judas knows he's guilty of accepting a bribe like that. He, he's broken the law. But let me tell you, the religious leaders, they can't do anything about it because they're the ones who paid him the money. You see, they've broken the law as well. So Matthew chapter 27 and verse 5 tells us that Judas throws those silver coins there onto the temple floor, and he, he rushes out. The Greek term for temple, by the way, is naos, which means the holy place. That's the inner holy place where only priests can go. Judas throws the money into that area. It's as if he wants to make sure that the priests have to pick it up. They've got to handle this blood money. Well, tragically, verse 5 tells us that Judas goes out and he hangs himself His guilt led him to despair and and death. But in contrast, here's where Peter's different. Peter's guilt led him to repentance and forgiveness. You know, the only other place we read of of Judas' suicide is, is in the first chapter of the book of Acts. There are some additional details that suggest that that Judas hung himself from a limb, but after his death, either the limb broke or the rope broke, and his body fell down a ravine and burst open. I can't help but think that while Jesus hung on a tree, so to speak, Judas is hanging from his tree. On one tree, you have the Savior On the other tree is an unrepentant sinner, deceived 
and empowered by Satan, the serpent. Now, I want to make a couple of observations here. First, Judas demonstrates that it's possible to appear religious and yet be unredeemed. You might have people in your life like that. They live, well, they live like the devil on Saturday, but they're going to sing in the choir on Sunday. It might be somebody you live with or work with or, or go to school with. It, it, might be, it might be the person sitting in your seat right now. By every outward appearance, everything seems to be right. But you and God know that everything is wrong. Well, there's a second observation I want to make here. It's, it's possible to serve Christ without loving Christ. Judas was one of the original 12 disciples. He'd even been sent out on a mission trip to preach, and, and he was given delegated power to heal the sick. Judas could quote Scripture, but he, he didn't know the author of Scripture. Well, with that, let me make a third observation. Here it is. It's possible to hear the truth without applying the truth. Now, frankly, this isn't just Judas's problem. It's my problem. It's your problem, too. We, we all run the risk every time we pick up the Word, we learn something new from God's Word. Uh, that's why it's possible for believers to grow old in their faith without ever growing up in their faith. They've been through uh, the Bible, but the Bible's never been through them. As one of my professors used to say, it's possible as Christians to become like bad photographs, overexposed to the light and underdeveloped. Well, Matthew informs us that Judas' blood money went toward the purchase of a field. And by the way, that was prophesied in the Old Testament. This field was purchased by the priests with the 30 pieces of silver, and that field was used as a burial ground for strangers. It became known to everybody around Jerusalem as, get this, quote, the field of blood. Don't miss that. This daily reminder of rejecting Jesus Christ is a cemetery. What a perfect picture of man-made religion that rejects Jesus. The best that religion can do is offer you a nice grave site. And, beloved, as I've toured the cathedrals of Europe, this truth occurred to me over and over again, as these sanctuaries are really nothing today than high-priced mausoleums, places for people to die and be buried. Beloved, we who have placed our faith in the Redeemer get far more than a nice gravesite. We've received forgiveness from our guilt and, and from our sin, and we've received the gift of salvation. This gift is going to allow us to spend eternity with our Savior in His presence. Well, until we set sail next time, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. That was Stephen Davey, and he called this lesson Eternal Contrasts Between Judas and Peter. This is The Wisdom Journey, a production of Wisdom International. We believe that the Bible contains all the wisdom you need to live a life that pleases God. 
That's why Stephen is teaching through the Bible all 66 books in this series. Please join us each day as we travel through God's Word together. We'd enjoy hearing your story. Has God used the teaching of His Word to bring about change in your life? Is there a specific story you can tell us about what God has done for you? We'd like to hear about it. Our email address is info at wisdomonline.org. You can use that address for any questions you have or for any correspondence. But today, tell us your wisdom story. That address, again, is info at wisdomonline.org. We also have an easy way for you to record an audio message. There's a link on every page of our website, wisdomonline.org. Contact us today, then come back next time to continue the wisdom journey.